Hello, club members. I'm Kate, and if I were a carnival ride, I'd be that one that's that cage that just flips around haphazardly. Oh, wow. See, I, I don't know gonna... what it's called, but I just call it the chaos. If I was a... We're doing carnival rides? Sure. Hi, I'm Emma. Um, I'm Kate's <laughs> sister. And if I was doing going to be a carnival ride... I would not be one, and instead I would be the funnel cake stand. <laughs> You'd be the funnel cake stand? <laughs> yes. Well, if we don't have to be carnival rides, then I want to be the pig race. Nope. It's too late. <laughs> I'm, I'm the chaotic <laughs> murder coaster thing. Yeah, that thing, even when it's working, it looks like it's not working. <laughs> it's so scary looking. <laughs> I'm never getting into it. No, our our mom had a very, um, very sad, but now I think very wise policy about carnival rides yeah we're not allowed to go on them yeah that was it was a nice <laughs> nice sweet and short didn't make us a lot of friends <laughs> in elementary school but but you know what? we're alive today and that's what matters exactly you're welcome you can go thank mama gina <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> she was right those things are, are are not built to support little lives so that's kind of been my takeaway of adulthood so far is i'm like wow you know when you're a kid you think everything has sort of this Everything follows structure. the rules. Yeah, and then you get you become an adult, and you're like, I don't trust any of my fellow adults. <laughs> and there aren't even adults running those rides. So. I know. Those are full-on teenagers. I know. Get in the cage, kids. We're going to flip you upside down for a dollar. Hopefully, I'm not too stoned to do this properly. <laughs> okay. They always are. But we're not here to, to rehash our traumatic childhood. We're here to talk about a movie. And this week's movie uh, is The Changeling. Oh, well, do you want to tell them what the podcast is about real quick for any new club members? You didn't know it, but you're a club member. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the club, guys. So if you're listening to this podcast, you are uh, officially a member of the Nightlight Horror Movie Club. So Woo! welcome. Uh, we're so excited to have you here. And... Um, there are no dues. Uh, it is a free club. It's like Hotel California. You can stay, but you can never leave. Now you're in the club. <laughs> Lifelong member. <laughs> we will be sending you periodic emails, newsletters, paperwork. You cannot unsubscribe. <laughs> you cannot. There is no button at the bottom of your email that says unsubscribe. Does not exist. Like, I didn't even give you my email. You didn't have to. <laughs> but really. But if you... If you do want to be more involved in the club, we do have kind of an inner circle. That's our Patreon group. Those are our patrons. They're actually who chose this week's episode. They choose every episode. We get all of our recommendations just from the club at large. Yeah, uh, so you can feel eat. free to, we encourage you to send us horror movie recommendations um, because uh, I hate horror movies. I've been bullying Kate into incorporating some thrillers. Um, and so really anything tangential to horror We've done Things Cats that, because it was horrifying. Yes. If there's any bad movies that you find personally horrifying, we'll take it. We'll take it. We, we, <laughs> we, we play it fast and loose with the genre of that horror. That we do. But th this week's is, is pretty by the book. Yes. This is a classic horror that has been recommended for a while now, so we're excited to finally be covering it. Uh, we are doing The Changeling this week, and I, let's go ahead and clarify this is the 1980 Changeling, so you will not be seeing Angelina Jolie in this movie. Thank God. That movie was horrifying. Well, you're not going to like the pics I have for the next poll, then. <laughs> is it just The Changeling again? That may be one of the options. Well, we're not watching it, so... Before <laughs> we that. before we um, went live on recording this, I said, Kate, I have like a list of different options. Would you like 
to narrow them down. She no, 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 it's fine. So well, you've you lost that privilege. Is one of them the Angelina Jolie changeling? It sure is. No, please don't make me give that to the patrons. I don't want to watch you that. You will be giving it to them, and the people will have their say. <laughs> My God. This is democracy, Kate. I know. I hate it. Why did we make it a democracy? Yeah, why, why did we do that? What a stupid idea. <laughs> Probably what every democracy, anyone in government ever says, why did we give people the option of having a say? What a dumb idea. Well, I guess that makes our patrons like our Supreme Court. Yeah, pretty much. Speaking of our Supreme Court, I want to give a shout out to our patrons. Uh, we have we have Aaron, Ren, Leanne, Marnie, and I'm going to give a special shout out to Carly, who has been trying to get us to cover this movie for <laughs> the better part of a year. Yep. So this so, one's for you, Carly. It, yeah, we got it you. finally passed. Yes. Shout out to Carly. You have uh, been a gem to be so patient with us. We're finally giving giving you what you've been asking for. Um, before we go into uh, the body of the episode, basically, we go through production, critical reception, plot, trivia, all sorts of fun stuff. Whenever we're doing that, we do spoil things. So if you uh, are have your curiosity peaked and want to go wa- run, go watch the movie real quick, Pause, go do that, and then come back, and uh, we are going to spoil the heck out of it. This is a twisty movie, and even though it's from 1980, I didn't expect as big of a twist as this movie had, so I yes. think it's, I think sometimes whenever a movie's older than, like, this movie's like 40 years old, so I, thought, I wouldn't have felt bad <laughs> spoiling it, yeah. but this one, yeah, I would actually would feel bad it if I spoiled it. It seems kind of like a, a hidden classic, because like when I talked to Dad about it, he, he instantly knew what movie we were covering, but... I really had no context going into this movie other than that it was not the 2008 Angelina Jolie movie. That <laughs> Thank was really it. God. I knew, so what I knew about this movie, I knew there was a wheelchair. I knew there was a ball that bounces down some stairs. Which is, I think, the OG bouncing of a ball down the stairs that now we see in all sorts of horror movies. You're right. That isn't a bunch of horror movies. I yeah. honestly can't think of one right now, but it happens. It 100% happens. A red ball. Does Insidious do that? Someone um, let me know. Let's, let's, there's a genre. Well, that's our genre. Ball bouncing down the stairs. You're going to have to punch that up, Kate. That is well, way too I, long. <laughs> so Kate's in charge every time that we have a movie. Kate puts it into a category of sorts. Um, there has been things such as popcorn horror, um, what yeah, other? There's like three movies in popcorn horror. Don't yeah, no. just popcorn horror. <laughs> it is robust. It's corn horror. It's corn. Oh, horror, you're right. It is corn. Not horror. popcorn. Well, this one I think is broad. I have a, I have a broad one okay. that we can add a lot of things to. Little Dead Child horror. Yes, I think that that's there we fitting. go. <laughs> you're okay with that. You fight me every time. Uh, I do. I give you a little bit of a hard time. No, I'm I'm cool with that one. I think Little I, Dead I think Child that horror. My one criteria is we have to be able to squeeze something else into the category. Oh, there you can fit all sorts of things in this bad boy. Yeah, really. Another thing that I think was pretty uh, original to this movie, there really hadn't been a whole lot of big seance scenes. And this movie has a very... Oh, hell yeah. Very, uh, I think, electrifying and very important seance scene that has since been become the, the um, meat and potatoes the of a lot of... Yeah, the blueprint for a lot of classic horrors that you think Looking of. at you, Insidious, who yes. totally used the exact same thing with the paper and the pen. Yeah, and the they psychic just threw a, They just yeah. threw a gas mask on it and called it something different. I'm not mad, James Wan. I'm just like, I noticed. Shout out to the Canadians for doing it first. 
I noticed. Yeah, this is a Canadian movie. Um, oh, wait, you're stealing my my fire. This is where I get to talk about all the boring stuff that only I think is interesting. Well, please go ahead. Don't <laughs> let me don't let me smother that fire. Starting with return on investment. So <laughs> our favorite. This okay, is my favorite. favorite. I really love return on investment. So this movie, the budget for this movie, this is a $1980. So I guess multiply it by 50 to get today's dollars. Mm-hmm. So six point six million dollars was how much this cost 6. to make. Six point six million. I, that that's sounds, substantial. Sounds substantial. And in today's money, that's two hundred fifty billion. So really substantial. <laughs> <laughs> this movie costs more than the Avengers. <laughs> okay, that is not factual. Please do not take that with you away from this podcast. You mean this podcast isn't one hundred percent fact checked at all times? You mean it's it's just two idiots with yeah, microphones. Two sister idiots whose <laughs> professions are medical and completely unrelated. Yeah. Completely that is, unrelated. That is what I'm saying. Well, in the box office, you want to guess what it made? So it, you said how many million for production? 6.6. 6. Um, I'm going to say it did. I hope it did well. Um, even movies I hate, I hope it did well because it's so much time and energy. So I'm going to say uh, 8 <laughs> so million. Sweet. That is eight million. That's like barely cut breaking even. I don't know. I, it's like I hadn't heard of it. They didn't do okay. They did okay. They made twelve million. Um, ah. That is not a lot of money. It's not even in then times. I think like I forget how much Texas Chainsaw made, but it was a hell of a lot more than that yeah. for a much smaller budget. Their but, budget I was mean, like Texas two Chainsaw nickels. Massacre is in everyday pop culture. If you know nothing about horror movies, you know of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that's not entirely surprising. But no, hey, it's, it's this, not surprising. this movie doubled doubled its investment. There you go. And the cast, so I wasn't intimately familiar with a lot of the cast, but Emma, you might have recognized... I did. Uh, George C. Scott. I did. did you... I said, is that Ebenezer Scrooge? It is Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. He made <laughs> From the sour 1984. Face yeah, the 1984 15. Christmas Carol. He was much That's... less likable in that movie, I will say, as he was Scrooge. But He was <laughs> real likable here. Yes. It was like the last 10 minutes of the 1984 Christmas Carol. I mean, really, he's he like an affable until like the last five when he started Maybe five minutes. free ham. Emma, <laughs> Emma and I knew that I, I, Emma, I knew that you were going to recognize him immediately because we, uh, so our mom, who we've talked about a lot, uh, this was one of two different Christmas carols that she would watch re- yes. religiously every holiday season. And there was the OG, have to like, watch black it with and her. white one. And then there was the this very one. boring one that's black and white. And then this one that was super, super scary. Very, the children in the robe. Yes. Horrifying. Terrible, terrifying. Kind of, kind of connects in a weird way. Small, creepy children. If we watch the Christmas Carol, yeah. we could put it into yeah. put it into your category. There you go. Maybe we will. We need a new Christmas movie. There's no shortage of Christmas slashers, though. Like let's be real. Now but that we've beaten the dead horse, that is um, that sorority horror slasher that you did twice. Black Christmas. Well, we yeah. did it incorrectly the first time. Yeah. No one said anything. It was really nice of them. <laughs> You're like, that's not the one we wanted. You that's to not. We we didn't mean the 2003 one that no one's heard of. But that one double fit in the category because it was a horrifyingly bad movie. That's true. It was horrible and horrifying. But George C. Scott, back to the man. Um, he's not just famous from that Christmas movie that we've seen. <laughs> he's an extremely famous and respected stage and film actor. I looked him up. He's like old Hollywood famous. He has five Tony nominations. He won an Academy oh. Award. He did? Uh, for what? 
I don't remember. Something I have not heard of. Something old. <laughs> I have to know. I'm looking it up right He now. also has two primetime Emmys and a Golden Globe. Oh, man. I should say had. He He's obviously not around anymore. This is an old movie, and he was an old man in it. But oh, he's safe handsome. to say. Yeah, he was a handsome dude. He got a win for Patton. I'm guessing he was Oswald Patton. Sure. Right. I don't know. All right, we're moving on. This isn't about a World War II phase of his career. This is about a very different phase. Then there's, so that's our leading man. Then we have our leading lady who is Trish Vanderveer. She is from a bunch of stuff I don't know also. Probably old Hollywood also. Yes, also very much in stage, but yeah, stage and film. And uh, this is super cute. You know, I'm obsessed with Hollywood marriages. She was married to George C. Scott. So. Uh Before yeah. or after this movie? Really sweet Before. or really awkward? Before. Okay. They, they were married in 1972 until his death in 99. Aww. So oh, they I were know, a success. Sweet. What? So, so they were a success story for you. Yes. Because he had like five wives. Not at once, but, but she I'm really glad he stuck. found love. I'm glad he finally found true love. And because they had good chemistry on the in the movie, like they weren't really a romantic interest in the movie. They just had good chemistry. I was like, yes, oh, I think did. she likes him. And I was correct. She did like him. That was a and, nice subtle. Like You could tell they liked each other, but it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the point of the movie. That wasn't the point. Yeah. They were just like pals. Yeah. So then there's just one more person I want to give a shout out to cast wise, and that's Melvin Douglas. He is the senator. I was going to say sounds old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't see a, not a lot of a lot of Melvins running around these days. You sure don't. Well, when I say old Hollywood for him, I really do mean old Hollywood. Like a lot of like I looked up his like filmography. A lot of his co-stars, two frequent co-stars I saw were Greta Garbo and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford, definitely know that one. This was mm-hmm. in fact his first speaking role, as all of his previous movies were. No, it's <laughs> not that old. <laughs> he also has two Academy Awards. So yeah. yeah Take that, Scrooge. He's got a Tony. <laughs> you really turned on him quick. <laughs> I did. All oh, Team Melvin all the way. He's got two Academy Awards, a Tony, and a Golden Globe. And he has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for movies, one for television. Damn. Yeah. And this was his final film before his death from pneumonia. And it was a year after his wife died. So mm. it's really sad, but really, really sweet. And this is just a really accomplished dude. So I'd never heard of him, but looked him up. Mad props to Melvin. I had not heard of him either, but something I I noticed pretty quickly on in watching the movie was that it was well acted, which you don't always see in horror movies. You do not. (laughs) That is not an expectation for horror movies. No, it's really not. Uh, You have to tell me about critical reception now because I didn't look up anything. I, you know, the fact that you don't look it up, I really appreciate because it's really hard to search a movie without seeing that big old Rotten Tomatoes on it. I, yeah, I don't look at the right-hand side of my screen. Yeah, you just like search move your window over so it's covered. I do. I do I do everything I can not to look it up. And I genuinely don't know if this is a popular movie or not because I feel like everyone has heard of it, but not that many people over or under 30 have seen it. So uh, take a guess. Critics, audience. I always make cake guess both of them. Are we doing a tomato meter? Tomato meter. All right, critics, I'm going to say 78. Audience, I'm going to say 70. Uh, so I actually did a little bit better than that, but you're not you're not very far off. So 83% for critics. That's so. the same thing. That is not. I said 78. That's the same damn number. Well, you were oh close. My God. 
You have a, you could have a breadcrumb. My Karnak over here. I'm supposed to guess all this stuff. <laughs> and then the audience, you were way off. 79%. I said seven. Okay, that's that's off. I'll give you that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're pretty close on it. So critics liked a little bit more than the audience, um, which I think kind of makes sense because I, personal opinion, but I think the production and acting in the movie was very quality and but that doesn't necessarily make it entertaining. And so I think audiences tend to go for pure entertainment value more often. That's true. Paul Blart's not going to get a, a fresh tomato anytime soon. <laughs> well, not, the but they, it was famous or more popular enough to get sequels, I'm pretty sure. It made more than $12 million, I'll tell you that. So we're all stupid. <laughs> so one uh, review that I, I really like taking reviews from um, Siskel and Ebert because you can read the – he does a whole – kind of coverage of it and it's always very thoughtful so his kind of one-liner for this was which one you mentioned two people ebert i think siskel siskel's not in a lot of the later ones i think he must have passed earlier he did so this is from good old ebert classic ebes uh if it only took craftsmanship to make a haunted house movie the changeling would be a great one so oh, that's ooh. So, that doesn't sound like a compliment so he gave it kind of um th- i think he gave it like a three and when I was out reading, of 10 or out five? of five, out of five. Okay. So I think what he was kind of saying, what I have alluded to, which is that he thought it was really well done. He thought it was a good story. He thought ultimately that George C. Scott's character was so kind of calm and collected and rational that it wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of excitement or fear for the care for the character's decision. So he never found himself frightened in any large way or as invested in the story because it was so rational throughout. That was his that's argument. A, that's a, that's a really good argument. And I mean, I'll go ahead and say that for this movie. So everyone, that's my cat's. Feeder. Let's wait for your cat to stop doing what, what is he doing? It's a cat playing feeder. Yahtzee. It's a cat God, is he gambling? What is he must be asleep? Cause normally he bounds into the room. For the cat feeder, the automatic cat feeder. Yes. Okay, so, and I'll go ahead and spoil my opinion on on the movie and see what kind of what Kate thinks about it before we go into the plot walkthrough. So I thought it was a quality movie. I do not like horror movies. Uh, Haunted houses will never be my my jam, um, which is why Kate's here to take care of all, represent all the horror lovers. Um, That's right. That being said, I thought it was a really good story. I I liked that as a horror movie, it, I did not know what was coming. I thought there was it was well thought out, well acted, and well produced. So overall, I would definitely recommend it to somebody. I think it's a good quality movie. Did I like it? I don't know. You can just say no. You don't have to squeak. <laughs> well, it makes me sad to say, but no, I, like I would not watch this again. I got kind of bored at parts. I find that with haunted house movies i know everyone's gonna disagree with me but i find it's like a squeak or a bang or something and then like you get your action in the last 15 minutes that's true i um i kind of agree with disagree so i thought the last bit of the movie was probably my least favorite part where it was like like the quote-unquote climax Mm mm-hmm um, that sounded super sassy. I didn't mean it so sassy. It is the climax of the <laughs> yeah, movie. I, was gonna say, I mean, there's like a fire and like there's people a dying lot. and there's a house a, burning down. So a wheelchair chasing someone down the stairs. Yeah. yeah, this stuff is happening, but that's not what scared me. Um, what scared me was 
Doesn't sound like very much scared you. I, the, the atmosphere scared me. Yes. So I, it felt very, and this might be something that very few people know what I mean, but it had the atmosphere, the atmosphere of a, like a click and point murder mystery game. Huh. Which is my kind of atmosphere. So that's very interesting. For that reason, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. But so, wait, where's what's the but? I would have, and this is such a like, this is so dumb to even say, but I would have written it differently. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted more of certain parts and less of other parts. I wanted more involvement with his family that I was so attached to. I didn't super give a shit about the ghost kid. Yes. I, I, I just didn't care about him. Yes. It's like, I was like, good for you for following this through, but I wasn't like, oh, you're compelled to. I was like, oh, this is someone following something interesting that's happening in their house through. Yeah, because I did. They didn't give me much to care about. Like you just, the only time you see him is whenever he's being drowned, right? Which is, albeit but, awful. That was that was an uncomfortable you see a lot. scene. Yeah, um, but I did. I agree with what you say about like the the quality was good, the acting was good, all of all of the technical things were good, and I would recommend this movie. And I enjoyed watching it, and it creeped me out. Yes, but would you watch it again? Probably not. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of the discrepancy between the critics and the audience, which granted is 4%. So it's not really much of a discrepancy, but that's kind of my theory behind it. I think, yeah, I think there are specific scenes that really carry this movie, like Mm -hmm. the ball, any scene scene. with that ball, the seance was outstanding. It was Especially if that was the first time that kind of thing had been done in that way. I haven't seen one older than that. No, I haven't either. Wait, The Exorcist was older. But that wasn't a seance. That was an exorcism. So it's different. It's different. It's different. Well, do you want me to go ahead? So this week we're, we, like we said, we play it fast and loose. So this week I'm actually going to be covering the plot walkthrough. That's right. Because my voice hurts. <laughs> yeah. Sweet, sweet Kate has been sick. Just a little bit. We ha- Yeah. It's not COVID. I'm vaccinated. It's just a regular ass bug yeah one of those boring viruses that have been on the news virus <laughs> so annoying but but no but i don't want you to go into the plot i have so much stuff that i have to talk about while i still have my voice oh go and for it. specifically i'm going to talk about folklore oh okay so this Probably is this based on coming. a true story all of this is based on histories and so this is um I want to talk about Changeling Folklore. So I didn't really think twice about why this movie was called Changeling because like that's not really a word that we use very often. Right. I didn't know. I never knew why the 2008 Changeling was called that. And then whenever I started watching this movie, I was like, oh, it has something to do with children being swapped or something. Yes. Because that's the commonality. We got to go back. We got to go way, way back. And as I'm going to go ahead and preface this. Uh, as I got really into this, <laughs> so there's a lot of it. And as with most medieval and pre-industrial folklore, it's both very silly and very dark. So just like you've been warned. All right. Let's let's start in Europe. Just all of Europe. <laughs> so Just a little place we like to call Europe. <laughs> in, in European folklore, a changeling is a human-like creature that usually a fairy, almost always a fairy in this in That's European folklore. Sweet. Uh, no. So who had been left <laughs> in place of a human who had been stolen by fairies. So usually huh. it's like a child. So like the th- the thing is like if like you have a child, watch out because a fairy might steal it and replace it with a fairy. 
Oh, what, so like what time or like what uh, era are we talking about? Like medieval era, medieval era. Okay, like old and beyond. Like it's it goes longer than that, but like pre-industrial. Back when they didn't know how things worked, so they made up reasons why things worked. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. We'll get to why the changeling was invented, but back um, when there were no murders or serial killers, wink, wink. Y- and no one got sick; they just got switched out with a fairy. Those people weren't that fairies. smart back then. But my question was, why would a fairy? That just didn't make sense. Like, why would a fairy switch out a child? Because then they lost one of their fairies. So, why take a human child? There's three main reasons. Um, out of love. Um, like they really want a little human child. That's my favorite reason. Uh, out of malice, because <laughs> they just hate <laughs> humans. And um, the mo- more common one, I think, was that they needed a servant. So get yourself a nice human child. So you need a smart, bland child. Not one that's too cute to be stolen, nor too annoying to be stolen. Or one that is too dumb to be stolen, is what it sounds you need like to, to get. You need to get them young, is what they do. So... But here's the trick, Emma. How do you know when it's a changeling? Yeah, please tell me because I'm never going to look at my child that I have in the future the same way again. Right. Because there, there is a fourth reason for the fairies to switch out the baby with one of their own. And that's in special cases, they'll switch out a human baby with an old man fairy <laughs> or an old lady fairy <laughs> so that it can be coddled and cared for by its new human parents. Wow, it's kind of ingenious. Right. So how here's the here's the thing. How do you spot a changeling fairy? Like how do you know if your baby has been swapped? So Well, they have wings um, for one. <laughs> close. Oh, okay. So um <laughs> they appear sickly. Um they won't grow in size. Uh they have a beard. Um <laughs> they have sharp pointed teeth. Okay, I was pretty close with the wings. They're they're wise beyond their years. And sometimes when they think you're not looking, they jump around and they dance around and they play a lute. Well, it sounds like grandpa's not ready to go to the nursing home. I don't know why they're shipping him off to the humans. They're sick of his lute playing. (laughs) But I love that there's like this list of like things you might not notice. And you're like, you know, Jimmy does have a beard and is fluent and elvish and can play the lute. I hadn't thought about it. I I keep putting him in his cradle and then suddenly he's dancing around with a lute. (laughs) He keeps cobbling shoes. I don't understand. (laughs) He's three. So obviously you don't want that to happen to your baby. So how do you ward off a changeling? So for this folklore, what, what they would do is you would have an inverted coat or a pair of open iron scissors next to the kid, which seems extremely <laughs> arbitrary, but okay. Yeah. Let's just, <laughs> why don't we put these rusty scissors right by our child? Next to the kid to keep them safe. And the third, the third hot tip is that you can constantly supervise the child. And I was like, you mean do your job as a parent? <laughs> That's a great idea. Who would have thunk it? They so, just but, didn't know their children at all. They're like, could be a kid, could be a changeling. Who can say? Let's move forward. I don't remember if it had a beard or not. But what did this mean IRL? So this illustrates perspective of family survival in pre-industrial Europe. So a poor family depended upon reliable labor of the family members, including the children. So a sickly or unproductive person or child isn't providing for the family. It's just draining it of its resources. Wow, that does really connect to the movie. It does. So it, it really does. So changeling tales support other historical evidence of this is where it gets a little dark. 
infanticide for the sake of protecting family resources. Oh. Yeah. So if your kid's sick and can't do things, well, sounds like a fairy to me. Broke your leg, Jimmy? You're a fairy now. You're a fairy now. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, it's really and fucked up. It, it's gonna get darker, but first let's get a little sillier. Let's go, let's go to medieval Scandinavia. So they don't use fairies. There's a little different. Their changelings were trolls, which seems what? more obvious, especially when you look at like the paintings and the tapestries mm-hmm. of the trolls. I'm like, I think I could spot that I as not know. being Some a baby. Have pretty ugly babies. <laughs> might not That's be able true. To tell the difference as much you might, as much as you'd like to think you could. Especially the babies in these like old tapestries. These are some uggo children. <laughs> but the trolls, so th- their reasonings were different. The they would baby swap because it was considered more respectable to be raised by humans than by trolls, which checks fair out. Fair point, yeah. And they would prefer unbaptized children since once baptized, uh, the babies were, you know, Catholic and so the trolls couldn't touch them. Them's, them's the rules. Hmm. And they were attracted to blonde hair and blue eyes, which is a generous fraction of the Scandinavian population. <laughs> yeah. I don't even consider that a type if you're in Scandinavia. Yes, I spent about seven months in Scandinavia and I can attest to the amount of people who did not look like me. <laughs> Yes, did not have dark hair like you. And they also prefer to be breastfed by human mothers. So they might steal some of those for that reason. And uh, they also would steal human midwives to deliver their troll babies. (laughs) That's cute. It's just how that's how I don't I don't get where this one came from as much, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. And now it's going to get dark. So... We're going to pop over to Eastern Nigeria and we're going to talk about the Ibu people because theirs is, this is by far the most fascinating of the folklores for sure. Um, And let me, I guess I should just dive in. So people, the Ibu people believed that women who lost numerous children, either in childbirth or usually in early infancy, uh, although there wasn't a cutoff, like you, they could, they could use this folklore if it was like a six-year-old child, it doesn't matter, but a woman who keeps losing children, uh, the folklore idea is that they are being tormented by an Obanje. An Obanje is a malicious spirit that torments families in this very specific way. So the babies are not babies. They are a singular Obanje that would deliberately die and then come back as a new baby, but the same Obanje to repeat this cycle to terrorize the family. So sometimes it would die early, sometimes it would be stillborn, and other times it would just live short, sickly lives before dying. And the entire point of this is just to torment the mother and the family. And so this part is creepy. I looked up the literal translation of Obanje, and the literal translation is children who come and go. Ah. It's also, unsurprisingly, often translated as changeling. Okay. And there are many different things that they would do in attempts to free themselves from the Obanje. But the one way to ensure an Obanje would never return was to find the spirit's Ieua. And the Ieua is a physical object. It's typically a stone. Um, Seems really hard to find. But it's typically a stone often that's already buried in the ground. I was going to say, a stone seems pretty easy to find, Kate. A very specific stone that's buried, so not an easy feat, but it didn't have to be a stone. It could be a doll or hair or pieces of the child's clothing, and that's what bound the spirit of the dead child slash Abanje to the mortal world, allowing it to return and be reborn by the same mother again and again and again. Mm -hmm. 
And to find an Iewa, they would enlist the aid of a Dibia, which is like a shaman who would ritualistically interrogate the spirit to force it to reveal the location of the Iewa, and then it could be destroyed and this, the cycle could be broken. It's fascinating that in so many different cultures, this, this was a uh, prevalent belief. Yes, a lot. Of, and I just picked a, a, the top three that I thought were interesting, but th- mm-hmm. this is everywhere. They call it different things, but it's the same thing. It's a changeling. Huh. So now I want to I go back to like where this lore came from. I talked about it a little bit with like sickly kids draining mm-hmm. resources. But the scholastic understanding today is really simple. It's just that these stories were born from lack of understanding about pediatric disease, obviously, but also people with neurodiversities or developmental delays. And as we learned more and more about medicine, these stories became more and more distanced from reality. So particularly in Nigeria, what scholars over there are thinking is that this idea of the Obanje is connected to what we now know as sickle cell anemia, which... Oh, you know, I was, thinking disorder. Of, I was thinking about that whenever you were talking about uh, the in Nigeria, the belief with like a, a woman who keeps having sickly mm-hmm. children. I was like, I wonder if she just has something like the equivalent of like sickle cell or like um, cystic fibrosis would not be prevalent in that in that um, demographic. Area. But that kind mm-hmm. of thing where you have a genetic, there's a genetic anomaly that you keep passing. And that's why you're having children that are sickly or who pass at an early age. They're having like crises and stuff like that. Yes. And so now obviously they ha- they understand more and more about, you know, sickle cell anemia. And so mm-hmm. the, the idea of an obanje has kind of changed. The obanje, is, it's now more a word for like a stubborn child. They'll call them an obanje. <laughs> I want to remember that and use it on you. No, no, Kate, thank stop you. stop being such a goddamn obanje. <laughs> <laughs> I love picking up new swear words. That's always fun. <laughs> But another thing that I thought was interesting when they're talking about neurodiversities is regressive autism. And Mm -hmm. so this is where children um, appear to develop in a standard way and they don't show signs of autism until they're older, like 15 to 30 months. So once you make that connection, which the the scholars have made, you start to see other ties between neurodiversity and fairies, like obsessive impulse to count things like handfuls of spilled Mm -hmm. seeds. Like one way that you can like trick a fairy is to like throw salt on the ground. They have to count the grains of salt. Mm. And this, it's interesting, I didn't go into a deep dive with it, with it, but I read a little bit about how this has become part of autistic culture, where some autistic adults have come to identify with changelings and how oh, they're wow, like that's very fascinating. of this world, but different. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. You know, like grandma's first child, I think, I think had Rett syndrome, which is like a, re- uh, a regressive, like autism, where you basically start going backwards in your de- development. You start having developmental delays a little bit later on and start regressing pretty um rapidly so like if grandma grew up a long time ago in a different culture she might have thought that that was a changeling or something exactly yeah absolutely i do want to just before we move on i do want to talk about bridget cleary who's who's that so bridget cleary is a woman um who was murdered in in 1895 ireland by by her husband who believed she had been abducted by fairies and a changeling had been left in her place she's an adult yeah, but sometimes they, they're still adults too because you know. Like also, if you really want to, if you really want to murder your wife, it's okay to bend the rules sometimes. Well, it's so yeah. Just if it makes you feel any better, he did do quote unquote time for it. Like there was a trial and he was found guilty. But like it, what? That's not enough. So it's an interesting story though. The couple married when Bridget was seventeen, and they lived in the best house in the village. Part of this was because um, Bridget's elderly father had moved in with them, and the father had been an, an Irish laborer, and laborers got 
several of the best houses were reserved for them. So Mm -hmm. the other part of this was that no one wanted to live in that house because it was built on the site of a fairy ring fort. So ring forts are circular fortified settlements of like, you can look them up. They're like the circular settlements of stone and earth that were built up during the bronze age. So that's whenever humans first started to work with metals and they like invented the wheel and stuff. And so the remnants of these structures were obviously not understood super well um, by the quote unquote modern at the time modern present day i'll say the present day people um and they were so they were seen as mythical and they were associated with the fairies hence they were called fairy forts and you were not to disturb a fairy fort lest you suffer the wrath of the fairies so bridget became ill in 1895 she was diagnosed with bronchitis but she was really really sick sick enough that a priest had come and given her last rites and friends and family came to her side and were taking care of her. And a doctor prescribed medicine, which the husband did not give to her because that's not how you cure fairies. So, oh, yeah. So, hurts. yeah. And it was at this point that her father and her husband both agreed that she was a fairy. And Bridget was like, You're crazy. And so he basically just lit her on fire <gasps> in their house. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. He pushed her against the fire. Her smock caught on fire and then he took kerosene and just threw it on her and she was engulfed in flames. Justice for Bridget, that's awful. And a few days later, people noticed that Bridget was missing and so the police started to do a search for her and Michael straight up said the fairies took her. He was even holding a vigil for her. Uh, But they found her corpse. Yeah, they found her burnt corpse in a shallow grave not a week later. And there's even like an Irish nursery rhyme. It goes, are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of Michael Cleary, which was Bridget's husband. That is very creepy. Super creepy. Well, that is fascinating and deeply disturbing because it's all a little too real. Because it happened. Yeah, it's a little too real for for my liking. I think it's great that you did not let me start the plot walkthrough because now I feel like that adds so much context to yes the things that happened in this movie. Well, my voice hurts, so why don't you <laughs> why don't you tell us about the movie now, the actual movie that we're here to talk about? Okay, deal. So this movie starts out and we are first seeing John Russell, who is the character that George C. Scott, the illustrious George C. Scott plays. That's so right. he is uh it, oh, we need to set the stage. Huh. The year is 1980. You're allowed to smoke inside whenever you want. Yes. So this is... 19- smoke wherever the hell you want. Not late, maybe late 1970s. It's 79. 79. So he is... Literally, he's smoking in every scene he's in, in other people's houses, yeah. in, the, in public libraries. I, honestly, it's in our lifetime that we no longer get asked smoking or non whenever you go into restaurants. I remember as a kid being asked, or not me personally, I was a child. <laughs> you there, a little eight-year-old. Do you want the children's menu? When Your family's going over here. Where would you like to go? <laughs> <laughs> no. So yes, it's like late 1970s. Uh, John is driving with his his wife and daughter, and then they get out. He like goes to call, make a call at a phone booth, and they get traumatically hit. Uh, by a big old truck and he watches the whole thing yes he watches the whole thing so this movie starts out intense (laughs) yes so i think they're like going on a vacation to upstate new york so he is traumatized Mm -hmm. so he decides decides it's time to make a change get away from Mm -hmm. the awful memories of his wife and daughter being murdered and so he Mm -hmm. decides to get up go across the country to seattle so Mm -hmm. in seattle he goes to rent 
this large, eerie, old Victorian era mansion, which is going to serve as a place for him to kind of get his life back together and to work on music and just really dive into that. So can we just can we just talk about the fact that this is a rental home? <laughs> right. But can you imagine this shit popping up on Zillow? <laughs> He's being like, like do you want great. these terrible apartments? Do you want this house that has an $800 pet deposit? Or do you want this four-story Victorian four mansion? Four-story Victorian mansion. And there is a piano in, in it, as well as lots of priceless, work, priceless works of art. How, would you like that? Would that be good for you? Does that meet your expectations? <laughs> yes. Perfect. So that's how... In Seattle. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I know. So um, he ends up getting this impressive mansion So he, where he's going to go to try to get over things. This is when he meets Claire Norman, who is played by Trish Van Devere, if I'm saying that correctly, who Kate was speaking about earlier, mm-hmm. his real-life wife. His boo-thang. His boo-thang. So he moves into this area, is trying to get settled in, and just be at peace and focus on his uh, his composing. I know Claire is like part of the local historic society, but she she seems very green to the historical society. She mentions that a lot, how she's like barely been in it very long. And so I don't know if she was supposed to just give him the yeah. <laughs> historical What's that mansion. Kosher? I, I don't she know what it, it was. Yeah, the other people at this historical society don't seem super stoked about it. I don't think she asked anyone. <laughs> to be fair, though, it hadn't been rented out for 12 years. so Right, because it's a historical mansion. <laughs> yeah, I guess they don't rent those out too <laughs> those often. Those aren't, yeah. <laughs> well, But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, regardless, sorry, he like, does get to move into this giant mansion. That's right. So he begins to live there, and not soon after that, he starts experiencing some, some weird stuff. So first, he starts hearing loud banging every single morning. This just sort of mm-hmm. very characteristic, the same every day, banging. It's always at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., something like that. Mm-hmm. And then one night, he John finds that the water tap has been turned on, and he sees an apparition of a drowning boy in a bathtub. Um, it had a lot of lipstick on him. <laughs> what? It had like, he had bright red lipstick. I didn't know it was a drowning boy. <laughs> That's amazing. I was like, what is that lipstick woman doing in the tub? <laughs> okay, well that, um, I did not catch the, catch up. Yeah, That's you're all like, am I, I watching, see. am I watching The Changeling or The Shining? What's going on I was, here? Yeah, I was very confused. <laughs> and then later when they tried to tie together that it was a little boy, I'm like, that was a woman. But that was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So he sees an apparition of this woman. The water tap's been turned on, though he did not turn it on. Everyone's saying, stop being kooky, John. This is just old houses have minds of their own. And boy, does That's this right. one. So days, That's right. So days later, he uh, discovers this hidden attic bedroom, which is never a good thing to discover. Nope. Um, and it's behind this like locked door. And inside of it, he finds the most comforting of all objects, a child's wheelchair. A wheelchair. Yeah. Sure. A child's wheelchair. So this is when he starts going, what the fuck? So <laughs> he reaches out to sweet Claire, who I guess bamboozled him into thinking that she knew what was going on. Um, though we know that she was not new or was new to all of this. But so Claire decides to help him investigate the house and its previous tenants. Um, she kind of thinks at the beginning that it's the ghost of this young girl who's, who was killed outside the house in a traffic accident in 1909. So mm-hmm. that, I think, rings close to home for him. Um, and mm-hmm. at that point, I was kind of thinking, God, I hope that's not what it is because it seems so on the nose. Um, yeah. 
fortunately, or I guess unfortunately, depending on how you're looking at it, it is that is not the case. So he gets set up with his seance at the house. And during the seance, which is a really cool scene that we were talking about and kind of the first of its kind, um, he, they end up overhearing the voice of a spirit spirit on the audio of the recording equipment. And that mm-hmm. spirit is calling itself Joseph Carmichael. That's when we have, we have the older woman who comes in and she like does a quick tour of the, the creepy house, sits down, um, and her husband is helping her, uh, helping the medium uh, write everything down. He's just he's just making sure that she has a, a working pencil in her hand. And like a piece of paper that has not been doodled on. And a piece of paper. And she's just like freehand, like drawing, writing, scribbling on the paper. So sometimes um, it's just a scribble. And then sometimes the scribbles are like forming words. Yes. It's it's like she is at, she is at the ready for a spirit to tell to write for her. Right. So she's and asking, her husband's like stay, literally keeping the keeping the table flat and passing pencils off, which I thought, I thought was, was really cool. cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that's that's the point at which he they um she's asking questions like, Are you a little girl who got killed in the, the car accident or the traffic incident? And they the spirit is saying no. And then afterwards, um, like I said, Joseph or um, John, I should say, overhears on this audio, he can hear someone calling themselves Joseph Carmichael. Joseph Carmichael. Mm-hmm. He he gets a bunch of words that he's able to write down. He gets a f- ranch. He writes down ranch. He writes down, I think, well. Um, he writes down a few things. Yes. Clues. He gets clues. So the plot thickens. Yes, it does. So after this, he says, huh, I'm going to... So he goes and he, he um, goes upstairs. He goes back to that creepy attic and that's where he finds out that Joseph was actually this crippled, sickly six-year-old who was murdered in 1906 by his father, Richard. Um, and this was because this poor sweet boy was had a fortune from his late maternal grandmother that was going to bring an enormous fortune, millions, to the family. Um, but the catch to that was that if he did not reach the age of 21, which is when it would be um, released to the family. It was just, it's all going to go to charity. Mm-hmm. So um, his father, Richard, does not want that to happen. And so he drowns the boy, which you see graphically done. And that was a very uncomfortable um, uh, scene. And then... Uh, he- I was okay with it because of the heavy-handed makeup artist. <laughs> You're like, you silly woman. <laughs> Wearing lipstick. <laughs> Well, it's important to note that like the dad is hedging his bets here. Like he doesn't have anything particularly against his kid. He's just like, you're not going to make it to 21. Yeah, honestly. And the way that kid was kicking in the bathtub, he didn't seem that crippled. Well, he wasn't kicking, right? (laughs) Dad just kind of grabbed his legs and he pulled him under with it. That kid had a lot of fight to him. Um, Well, in his top half. Yeah. Well, Regardless, the outcome was that the, the the boy drowned. And so just to kind of add fuck fuck uppery to this, um, so he's killed a child, but that doesn't that doesn't an, an inheritance make. So what he does instead is he decides, okay, I'm gonna replace my dead child with one that I'm going to adopt from a local orphanage. Mm-hmm. And then so people don't ask questions while this kid is growing up, I'm gonna run away with my um my quote child to Europe. And then I'm going to pretend to seek treatment for my child's condition. Mm -hmm. So that way, whenever the kid comes back 18 years later and can walk, uh, no one recognizes him because it's been such a long time uh, and no one's asking questions because they're like, Oh look, they cured him and 
Europe at his boarding school or what have you. They don't have to ask pesky questions like, that kid was a brunette. Why is he blonde now? Or things of that nature. Um, So you come to find out that this boy is actually now, he's an old man um, because the drowning happened in 1906. And not only is he an old man, he is a prominent old white man. He is a U.S. senator and a business tycoon who happens to be a major patron of the historical society that Claire works for and that owns this house that John is renting. Mm-hmm. So it all it all makes sense now. So they've done some some really good investigative digging. Absolutely. So he continues to investigate and this ultimately leads him to a property that was once owned by the Carmichael family uh, where where Michael based off of or excuse me, John based off of uh, the scribblings and all and this sort of investigation that he's undergone, he believes this is where the real Joseph Carmichael was dumped in a well. Cause like mm-hmm. Kate said, that's one of the things that was scribbled. Um, the, yeah. The word ranch, the word well. So he looks up Carmichael ranch um, to find a ranch that they owned. And they, he goes through old blueprints and uh, finds that the, the, this blueprint has when they own the ranch has a well. And then they sold off the land and look, this blueprint doesn't have a well on it anymore, but it's the same area. And that's where the well should be. Yeah. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he goes to the house. He says, Hey, I want to, put a giant hole in your child's bedroom. How do you feel about that? <laughs> so Mrs. And Grace. And she's like, I feel fine about it. Let me think about it. She says, uh, I'm going to have to sleep on that one. Well, she she's considering it because her little girl, um, at the same time that they had that seance, because she's like, when did you have this seance? Was it Monday night? And she's like, yeah, my little girl was like screaming bloody murder. Yes. And looking at what she said was a little boy coming out of the floor. Yes. And there's a scene of the little of the little go- girl's nightmare, which was traumatized her. And that ultimately is what. what no, that's that's the second time that happens to her. Oh, that that's that's time? what. Yeah, because she she won't the little girl won't go in that room anymore. Oh, the little girl baby. is sleeping with the mom now. So you see, the mom the when the mom's like, I need to think about it. Like the only reason I'm even thinking about it is because my girl's acting weird, and that ad that story's kind of I think weird. She might be a fairy. No, not really. But <laughs> no, we don't know what was but, going on in her head. She she's like maybe maybe something like ghostly is going. Yeah, on. Yeah, she's so like maybe if they all dig a well, it'll make my child stop waking me up in the middle of the night. So. Maybe there is a body under my daughter's room and that's a bad thing yeah so she then then we have this scene that emma oh my god it reminded me so much of you really it reminded me so much of you yes because it's like a it's like a it's right in front of the little girl and it's a it's a scene of the little girl waking up she's in a nightgown um she's sleepwalking and she's crying as she's sleepwalking which i have done you did a lot it was so so i didn't cry all the time but one time i did i did sleepwalk a lot kate would once was enough bad and then there was an occasion where I sleptwalked down the stairs and into my parents, through my parents' bedroom, into their bathroom, uh, where they had like a jet tub kind of thing. So it had like a little, a little place where you could sit. And I like sat down there and just started crying. It, imagine how creepy that is for a little like dark haired six-year-old in a white <laughs> nightgown. Oops. That's what you wake up to. You would do that crap all the time. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah, this, this was no exception. I also so this one scares time the shit out of in mom. college uh, sat up in bed and said, that blood's not mine and pointed across the room to my college college roommate's wall. Um, Wasn't this the first night that you were there? It was not the first night, but I will say that it was a random roommate who I did not know that well. <laughs> did not know well enough to be no, pointing up no. imaginary blood on their wall. We hadn't gotten to that point in our friendship and we never did. So... <laughs> Um, so yes, I I guess I can see where you would parallel that little child with some of, yeah. some of my escapades. 
I have, I don't know if you can see this. I have my notes and it says little girl, nightgown, sleepwalking, crying. And then it just says in all caps, Emma, dis you. <laughs> Cause I would just wake up and Emma would just be walking out of the room and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So that, <laughs> did, go get that her. did happen. So also the time I had to catch you running down the stairs and you kept saying that the wallets were singing in the house. Yes. And then, then I was like, stop. And the weird thing about some of those incidents is I can kind of remember them, but I don't remember them like as if I'm awake now, but I can kind of remember saying stop. And then I was like, stop making pants. And then I let Kate yeah. take me upstairs. You, t- you told me to stop making pants. And I was like, okay, I'll stop. And, and that's let's when go to Kate's pants. dreams of becoming a seamstress ended. That's, yeah, you, that, th- that was my dream before veterinarian was <laughs> yeah. seamstress. She's like, fine, no wallets, no pants, Kate. I get, <laughs> am I? I guess I'll go be a, a vet. Can't be a cobbler. Can't do anything. <laughs> So back to the movie. So they, she has this second nightmare and Mrs. Gray is like, okay, fine. You can dig a giant hole. So John excavates the the little girl's room and um, actually does find a well. And as he continues to dig in that well, he finds a skeleton of a young child along with, importantly, his christening medal, which prior to this movie had no idea what a christening medal was. I didn't either. Is that just something you get when you're baptized? Yeah, I think it's kind of like an OG birth certificate. It's a birth certificate? Like it's not, I, I mean, in that it's like you get it when you're born you or like when you're very young and it, it has like specific, um, specific writing on it that's unique to your child. Oh, I just thought it was like a necklace. Yeah, so it's it's a, a fancy christening model. An ugly necklace. Yeah. So he calls the police. The police don't seem too concerned honestly is a little bit a little bit concerning in that they they're like these bones seem old yeah they're like this small these, this small skeleton seems irrelevant and they kind of laugh <laughs> so i think at that at that point john's like i'm just gonna hold on to this metal i don't think they're gonna really do anything with it and it could be useful to me mm-hmm. so he can well they i don't think they find the metal they just they they, they excavate the body but then john like breaks back into it and is like digging and that's when we have that oh you're right very cheesy scene where they um very clearly played a video backwards to get the effect of a metal like emerging out of the dirt yeah it's <laughs> it's very obvious what the what the technique is but it's it's cute it's endearing you know what in the 1980s that shit was dope no it was not <laughs> but that's okay so um I guess you're right, Kay. He, he goes back. He finds the metal. So um, at this point, um, he has this metal. He says, wow, this is very damning. This is this is connected to Senator Carmichael. So he attempts to actually go intercept Senator Carmichael as he's about to depart on a plane. Um, but understandably, he is restrained by the police who will not let this raving man run up and engage with the senator. Yeah, how did he not get shot? Like the in senator's trying to get on a jet. Down for sure. Oh my god, he's like running, reaching into his jacket to get something and wave it around <laughs> and screaming. And I'm like, you would be shot. Yeah, he seems perturbed. It does not. It's it's not. Um, I don't. I don't know how you got on the tarmac of this like private airport. I think airports were quite different back then, and particularly I think private they were ones. Too. Private ones, yeah. But so the, the senator thinks that this guy's trying to like blackmail him for some reason. So he like sends his hired goon off to, you know, scare him and say, hey, 
don't blackmail yeah, the senator. He hires actually he hires a detective is what he does. He this his detective is his goon. Yeah, his his goon detective, Captain DeWitt. He hires him to like basically come to John's home, quote John's home, the mansion, and uh, intimidate John and try to retrieve the medal. John says, uh, "No, sir, I'm not giving this to you." And then DeWitt says. I bitch, I'm going to go get the police or no, I'm going to go to the police. I'm going to get a search warrant essentially. So he Mm -hmm. DeWitt leaves to go get a search warrant. And then plot twist, his vehicle mysteriously crashes and like flips over and he gets upside down crashes. Like like the the vehicle is not oriented in the right direction. And um, this immediately kills DeWitt. So at that point, DeWitt's really horrific and sudden death kind of gets the senator a little un, like a little unsettled so he finally <laughs> you have to put it lightly so he agrees okay i'm gonna go listen to john's story so he meets with john john tells him the well, story not quite he, he's like he like invites him to his house and is like what the fuck do you want exactly so he's like hey like but like he's he's like he's meeting him to hear the story expecting it to be um another kind of someone taking advantage of him and trying to blackmail him he, so John tells him this entire story and basically to says, hey, I think your dad murdered his son. I actually don't think you're related to your dad and um, you are an orphan and you are the changeling. And so you're a senator, but you're not actually related to the, to the dad. And like none of this is yours. Yeah, none of this is yours. None of this money is yours. Yeah, this you are a poser, basically, he says in, in, in much He, he says terms. it nicer and he's like not faulting him for it, but... It's like that that upsets the senator who literally has like an oil painting of his dad on his desk. Yeah, it, that was I actually I actually like this scene because it's the senator understandably is in is in disbelief. He doesn't believe him. He says that like I've dealt with men like you before. Like how much money do you want? He immediately just pulls out his checkbook and like how much money to get the fuck away from me. And then he's berating John for accusing his father who he claims is quote a loving man of this horrific murder and these accusations. Mm-hmm. So John's, you get a feeling that he did like love his dad and have like a good relationship with his quote unquote dad. Absolutely. It's not, he's not like, oh, my dad did seem murderous in many ways. You know, he, which is kind of creepy that the dad was just like, yeah, I'll just get a new one. Yeah, it is. It's disturbing. It'll be the same. But it also, I think kind of checks out with real life bad people because people will kind of um, turn a blind eye to bad things they do and then just recreate their own reality. That's dark. I mean it just as someone who's obsessed with true crime, I feel like people do that a lot. Like a lot of bad people do that kind of stuff. So I'm not entirely surprised. I think it's plausible. So John apologizes. He leaves the Senator with Senate. He leaves the Senator with this medal and the files and the only copy that he had of the seance recording and just continues to profusely apologize and leaves. He understands the damage he has done to this man. Um, And on his way out, basically the Senator's like, you better not tell anyone about this because there'll there'll be consequences. So at this point, uh, the John, his realtor friend Claire, goes to the house alone because she's attempting to find find John. And at, this is the scene Kate was referring to, where she gets chased around the house by this wheelchair. I laughed out loud. I'm sure it was scary then, but it's just a very <laughs> yeah. So John John shows up and is like, "Stop! Like, what else do you want from me?" So John shows up. She's fallen down the stairs. At this point, the house is shaking and rumbling. Like things are going 
haywire. So he Mm -hmm. gets Claire out and he goes back in and he's trying to communicate with Joseph and say, Hey, like, what do you want from me? Like, like, what can I do for you? Obviously you're very upset. So then a very strong wind looking at you, Joseph. So at this point, the house is beginning to shake and rumble. John gets there. He goes to help Claire. He gets Claire outside. Then he reenters the house. He is trying to communicate with Joseph. Um, but Joseph's like blowing him around and is not having it. And then well, Joseph's not doesn't want to talk to him. He wants to talk to the senator. He sure does. So he's getting roughed about by Joseph. And then Joseph, in his angry ways, actually lights the house ablaze. Mm-hmm. So back at the center, senator's home, he is now looking at these two birth medals and he is looking because he's he was wearing what he thought was his. Right. And that was the thing that initially freaked him out so much about John's. Um, well, not only that John ran at, ran at him while he's trying to get on a plane, but that he had this medal that looked so so much like his own. So this is a this is a plot point that. I didn't understand because why wouldn't the dad have just like taken the medal off the kid and given it to this new kid? I don't think it makes a lot of sense either, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. You know, maybe he just didn't think about it. But the kid is like, he's naked in a bathtub. All he's wearing is his medal. It'd be very, it'd be very hard to miss. Have you murdered your child before Kate? Do you know the stress that goes into that? Well, he, he he did a lot of stuff correctly to get away with it yeah, this sure far. Did. That is a little bit of a, of a plot hole. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. Anyway, so he looks at the two medals. He's very upset, but he's choosing to be loyal to his father. He throws away the, the Joseph real medal and places the medal he received from his father on the portrait. But then the picture and the desk start shaking violently. And then the illusion of the senator is transported to the house and begins to, it's like an, it's like he astral projects is what it yes. is. And like, that's I, how I understood it. And like, can, can you explain what astral, pro, like the concept, like kind of what an astral projection is? I wasn't really sure what was going on. And then when I was reading the plot, I was like, Oh, it's called astral projection. Yeah. It's like an out of body experience. It's like whenever, um, in insidious goes over astral projection a lot. So that's how I learned about it. But it's basically like your soul is your astral body. And that can like, pop out of your physical body and go different places. Right. So people will think that like in real life can think that they can astral project by like going into a trance. And so their physical body is where it is, but they, can, like, but they their soul, their essence can go other places. So at this point, the Senator's essence is climbing the stairs to Joseph's attic room where he finally witnesses how his father murdered the real Joseph by drowning him. Mm-hmm. And then his body back at the mansion suffers a heart attack and dies. And at the same time, Joseph's entire room in the attic explodes. So this is also where I got confused because didn't later, didn't they pull his body out of like the rubble? That is why I was confused. I had the, I had the same question actually. So I was like, cause they show, they show his body being like wheeled off with a sheet over it into an ambulance. I assumed that was his body. That's what I assumed as well. Because there's no one else there. So if we're missing something, let us know if we're missing something. Because I had the same question. At this point, the entire mansion, it's been ablaze and it's just entirely engulfed in in flames. The next morning, we're at the ruins of the mansion. And all you can see is Joseph's burnt wheelchair. It's sitting upright and his music box then mysteriously opens and begins playing a lullaby. And this may be signifying that justice has been served. 
And that, but it, like, how is that justice? I mean, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, so that is the end of the movie. It wasn't a satisfying ending for me because the senator didn't do anything. He was just a he was just a little orphan kid that got adopted by a bad guy. I think this is where angry the whole angry spirits things come in because angry spirits very often will terrorize people even if it's not the person who wronged them because they're an angry un like restless spirit and they just need some sort of closure and i think for this angry spirit that was his closure that's not fair no it's really not fair mm. at least this man was very old i guess i know it's not Still, not a great a way to shitty way to die not a great way to die you didn't do seeing your you entire find out world that your whole life is a lie your dad was a murderer and then you get to get astrally slingshotted to a burning building to watch a kid get murdered and then you have a heart attack and you die yes and who among us wouldn't have a heart attack and die after saying that i would have a heart attack and die so of course so that is not the fair. end of the movie and uh i did see that there is a reboot of the film that's in development since july 2020 so i don't know if anything's going to come of that but i thought that that was an i stumbled upon that and found that very interesting They'd really need to make it different because this this story works because it's older and because it hasn't it hadn't been done to death by that point. Mm -hmm. But at this point in 2021, this story has been done to death. Yeah. So they're, they're going to have to do something new and interesting. The the kind of the concept of the changeling is unique enough. And this movie is not super yes. well known, I think, to most at least to the modern general audience. So I definitely think they could do something interesting and fun with it that could be a, a public success. But I agree they with you. They need to get creative. They're going to have to do some things that are a little bit different because now, partly because of this movie, that a lot of these things are now tropes. Um, mm -hmm. So they'll have to kind of rework some of that. So I, you, this can't be a rental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You can't rent houses like this. No. Um, so that is the end of the movie. Now it's time to rate and rank. Yes. Uh, All right. So first, I guess we'll rate. Um, this is the new thing that we've started adding. It's a better way of um, giving our viewpoint on the movie rather than the big scoreboard because that scoreboard is so, so broad. So we do a rating from 1 to 10. So I am going to give the changeling, I'll give it 6 out of 10 flaming wheelchairs. Okay. I'm going to give it... Also six, I'm going to give it six out of 10 red bouncing balls. Okay. All right. So it seems like we're in agreement. Yeah, now. it's interesting because we're in agreement. We we're kind of coming from two very different perspectives, but have landed on the same ranking. Which is good enough for me. Yeah. But now we have to slot it somewhere on the, on the big scoreboard. So based on our conversation, I think it's going to be in the middle, but in the bottom middle or in like the top of the lower part. Does that sound right to you? I don't know. So let me get, let me kind of give you a little bit of um, reference for the area that we're playing in. So last time we put Texas Chainsaw Massacre at 25. Underneath that was Evil Dead, Insidious, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Idle Hands, Keep Going, Black Christmas, the 1974, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, mm -hmm. Wreck. What? Oh, Wreck. Yeah, keep going. Trick or Treat. Keep going. Raw. I'm going to need you to jump down a little bit. Like, no offense to this movie. So you like I this better it. than, I mean, you like Black Christmas better than this? Yeah, totally. Interesting. I liked this better than Black Christmas, but it, part a big piece of that is that I just, Black Christmas was so classic slasher that I was like, very much not my cup of tea. But I, I see what you're saying, and I'm willing to go lower. 
Um, okay, so jumping down. Yeah, it's going to have to be beneath, in my opinion, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Totally, yeah. So then you have The Strangers, Orphan, It. This is better than both of those. This is better than all those. Okay. Um, do you want to put it at, the, make it the new 38, so it'll be underneath Nightmare on Elm Street, but above The Strangers? Yes. Okay, let's do that then. Well, I kind of like The Strangers better than I like this. The stranger scared me. I'll give it that. And there are so many different ways to interpret like where this yeah. goes on the ranking. So there's not a wrong answer. Um, I think below strangers. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to do that because that's one of the ones that I have not seen. That's pre me. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have an opinion on it. I think the strangers would scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. No, it really would. An intruder story. Absolutely not. Um, so, okay. That is the new 39 then. Okay. So, okay. And it's still I'm, a very respectable position because that's going to yeah. make 50, 39 out of 55. Yeah, that that's still not, that is not low. There's a lot lower. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at you, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, <laughs> and, and stay down. And stay down, yeah. All right, well, that's it for the changing. But before we go, I do want to get us queued up for the next movie that we will be covering, not this week or not next week, which will be our mini episode, but the following week. So you were joking options, about Angelina Jolie changeling, right? You know what, Kate? I will be kind to you and I will not include Thank it. Thank you. Though, if people request it, we may have to put no. up our <laughs> That I'll, I'll leave that up to the club, so club members, fucked though. fucked up. So I have a couple of picks um, from club members. And so the three that we ha- are going to put on our poll for the patrons to choose from this week are going to be The Invitation. Okay. That's it on Netflix. Follows. I think that's on Netflix too. Well, that makes it easy. And then also on Netflix, the newly released Woman in the Window. Ooh, a bit of a dark horse for the poll. I like it. Yeah. So okay. we're, we're shaking that's it really up. That's really popular have, right now. Yeah, I was number one on Netflix. So I thought maybe it would be something that would interest our club members. So why don't you all take a vote? Let us know what you want to listen to. And please, regardless of whether or not you're a patron, send us all of your recommendations for anything horror or horror tangential. We are... Um, eager to hear what you want to hear on the podcast. I definitely haven't seen any of those, so I'm excited regardless of what gets picked. I don't have I a haven't favorite. Either. Okay, good. I'm excited about it. And okay. one more quick shout out. Um, uh, thank you to everyone who has given us a rating or a review. I do want to say that um, that is every time that someone joins the club and I ask them, hey, how'd you find us? It's always through recommendations from Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud, and they get those from the ratings and the reviews. So it really does make a difference. It grows the club a little bit bigger. It diversifies our pool of movies, and uh, it just makes everything a lot more fun. So if you're able to take five minutes and give us a rating Honestly, or review. set a timer for a minute or 30 seconds, run, go do it, and then we will be eternally grateful. Really, it should not take more than that. And if you do that, we are, will be so ecstatic to give you a shout out on our next uh, podcast or whichever one that lines up with, with your comments. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for being a club member. Um, and until our next, next week's mini episode, stay spoopy, guys. Stay spoopy. Stay spoopy.